must abide in Christ to bear any fruit. If you've been around little kids for any amount of time, um, been around long enough, that you probably observe them when they're having a ton of fun and running around with their friends, and, and then their parents come and say, put on your shoes, it's time to go. And uh, so many little kids respond the exact same way to those words, tears of lament. They don't want to go. They want to stay. The, their entire perspective changes in a matter of seconds. The fun is dead, and uh, they have to go home, and sadness lives on, at least until they fall asleep on the way home. So why the sadness? They want to stay. They want to stay. They want to have fun. They, they simply want to stay and have fun. When I was growing up, once in a while, my parents uh, would surprise me and I'd get to stay overnight. Maybe it was at my grandma Goods, which was here in Lidditz. Maybe it was at my Aunt Carolyn's, who lived in uh, uh, Akron. Uh, maybe it was at a friend's house, but it was that last-minute decision of you can stay and you can sleep overnight. That was just absolutely incredible. I just lit up as a kid because I really wanted to stay. I absolutely loved it. And that's what it's like to abide in Christ. We get to stay with Christ. We don't have to leave the joy of being in Him. Remaining in Christ is what the good life is all about. If we abide in Christ, Christ guarantees us something. And it's something that is really, 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 really good. He guarantees us that he will produce abundant fruit in our lives. That's incredible. We can bear fruit for God. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to bear a lot of fruit in my life. I want to be a blessing to people. I want others to experience God's goodness through me. I want Christina to experience God's goodness through me, my kids, you as Jerusalem Church, the community out there. I don't want to waste my life. I want it to count for something eternal, something that glorifies God, something good and beautiful. And honestly, that seems daunting to me at times, considering I'm not strong enough to do any of that. I need Christ. He either works through me or I waste my life and I don't bear fruit. And I never produce the kind of fruit in my life that God wants me to produce. I need to abide in Christ. Do you want to produce a lot of fruit in your life for God? If you want that, you're honest and you're like, yeah, like that's what I want in my life then you need to abide in Christ. Don't forget that the purpose of the vineyard is to produce abundant and luscious grapes which are meant to be enjoyed by many people. Abiding in Christ and bearing fruit is what true Christians do. Way too many people believe that they are saved because one time in the past they walked an aisle or they said a, a prayer or repeated a prayer or invited Jesus into their heart or they joined a church. Unbelievers can do all of those things. Only genuine Christians abide in Christ and bear much fruit. Get this, fruit authenticates faith. Fruit authenticates faith. Think about this. Do people know that you love Jesus because they benefit directly from the fruit 
that you bear? Do people know that you're a Christian because they are receiving from you fruit that only Christ could bear in your life? Children, do your parents benefit from the fruit of Christ in your life that you bear? Does your wife? Does your husband? Do your kids? What about your grandkids? What about your friends? Are you bearing fruit that others are currently enjoying? A lot of people think they're Christians, but they're bearing no fruit. They're bearing no fruit. They're under a a, a false pretense of, of their union with Christ. Here's a little project for you. And it takes guts, but it's worth it if you're willing to do it. First, ask yourself very honestly, am I abiding in Christ? Second, ask your spouse, what fruit am I abiding or am I bearing that you are enjoying? Ask them directly. Sit and listen. What fruit is coming out of me that Jesus is producing that you are enjoying in our marriage? Kids, ask your parents. Parents, ask your kids. Or ask them this, what fruit would you like me to bear so you can enjoy it? What fruit do you want me to bear for your sake, for God's glory, and for you to be blessed by it? When you abide in Christ, you bless others. People should benefit from your fruit, the fruit that Jesus produces in you. Your church should benefit. Your spouse should benefit. Your children should benefit. Your extended family, your friends, your next-door neighbors, your employers, your co-workers, non-Christians, even, even your enemies should benefit from the fruit that Jesus produces in you. And if it's truly fruit... God will get the glory because it'll become evident where the glory needs to go, to God. You'll never, ever, ever produce any fruit if you don't abide in Christ. So, how do you abide in Christ? How do do we go about doing that? That's a helpful question. And the Bible answers that question. In verse 4, Jesus gave his disciples a command. Jesus is God, and so what he says goes. And it's really good. It was relevant then. It's relevant now. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. That's a command. Jesus was serious. Now, picture the house. Picture the pipes. Picture the the blueberry bush from last week. Picture the vine and branch metaphor from Jesus. As we abide in Christ, Christ abides in us. There is an indivisible connection between The two, as we live in Christ, Christ lives in us. As we continue in Christ, Christ continues in us. As we endure in Christ, Christ endures in us. Christ commands everyone, everywhere, on planet Earth to abide in Him. How? Let's explore that a little bit. Look at verse 7. When you abide in Christ, His words abide in you. 2 John 1.9 is similar It says this, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Do you want to abide? Do you want to abide in Christ? You must have the Bible in you. You must have the teaching of Christ in you. You must have the Word of Christ in you or else you don't belong to God and and you don't abide in Him. Is the Word of God in you? Does God's truth live and thrive in you? 
You need to have God's word in you to abide in Christ. In John 6, 56, Jesus said this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's not cannibalism. That's not vampirism. With all the vampire movies out there, don't go weird on Jesus here. Jesus was speaking metaphorically. And his earlier statement in John 6, 35 helps understand what he meant by that. This is what he said. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You abide in Christ when you come to him, when you believe in him in order to receive from him life and power. Why don't you turn to 1 John? It's almost the last book of the Bible. Grab them out of the pews. Get to Revelation and head backwards. Uh, You'll run into it. 1 John Abide is used a lot in 1 John, specifically in chapter 2, so let's look at that together. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, you can just stay there, all right? Verse 5, it says this, by this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you're going to say, yeah, I, I abide in Christ, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, then you need to back that up by walking in the same way Jesus walked. Are you walking like Jesus? Jump down to verse 24. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, and John is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So you abide in Christ when the gospel of Jesus Christ abides in you, lives in you, remains in you, dwells in you. That means the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ takes residence in you. It has a home in you, and it then informs everything that you do. Now, jump over to 1 John 3, verse 6. It says this, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. So to abide in Christ, you must put sin to death in your life. We won't be perfect in this life. You can't read that and say, I, if I ever sin, I'm, I'm not ever abiding in Christ. That, that's not the, the meaning of this. We won't be perfect in this life. We'll struggle with sin until our dying day. But as we abide in Christ, he helps us to hate sin, to fight sin, to put sin to death, to kill sin. See, we no longer joyfully pursue sin like we did before when we abide in Christ. You can't abide in Christ and just say, I'm going to keep on this path. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. But hey, I said a prayer way back then. Hey, I have a date in my Bible that said this is when I joined the church or became a Christian. Who cares about the date? Are you walking in the truth of Jesus Christ? Do you have the gospel in you? Are you fighting sin? Do you hate sin? Do you want people to help you get rid of sin in your life? Or are you just like, you know what? Don't you dare go there with me. I don't need you getting up in my business. I don't know where that's coming from. It's part of me. You have to know I am a unique individual. I don't... There is no explanation for this. I'm sorry. But... I am a product of Lancaster County, so I'm just saying. Jump down to 3, 1 John 3, verse 24. 
It says this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Two things here. Number one, you abide in Christ when you keep his commandments, when you obey Christ, when you live a holy life. That means you abide in him. In John 15, verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. To abide is to obey. Number two, you know Christ abides in you when you have the Holy Spirit in you. 1 John 4, verse 13 echoes this. It says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is evidence that you are abiding in Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not abiding. If you have the Holy Spirit, he's leading you to live like Jesus and to abide in Christ. What about 1 John 4, chapter 4, verse 15? It says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And then verse 16 says, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. How do we abide in Christ? We confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ God's, is, is God's only son. That he is the Messiah. And then we abide in love. Are you abiding in love? Romans 8, 9 might help you understand the concept of abiding in Christ. John didn't write it, but it's related. And Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul wrote. You, however, are not in the flesh... But in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's pretty simple. That's not very hard to understand. Abiding in Christ is being in the Spirit, not in the flesh, in the Spirit. When you abide in Christ... You have the spirit of Christ in you. When you abide in Christ, you don't live for your sinful flesh. Instead, you live in the spirit because Christ is in you, leading you to live for God. God has been clear. The question is, are you abiding in Christ? Are you like the little kid that gets to stay overnight, super excited to be in Christ? Is, is, is Christ exciting to you? Do you care about him? Do, are you in him? If, if so many church-going people would, would recognize that it's not just about punching the time card or getting the certificate, it's about abiding in Christ. It's about knowing him. It's about being in him. It's about trusting in him. It's about loving him. It's about cherishing him. It's about prizing him. It's really simple, my friends. You must abide in Christ to bear fruit. You must. And I'm emphasizing the word must because abiding in Christ is absolutely necessary to bear fruit. Only Christ can bear fruit. Can we just be honest with ourselves that it is absolutely pointless to try to obey and please God without abiding in Christ? We don't have the ability, we don't have the power to bear fruit apart from Christ. You see, most people believe, this is so common, most people believe they can do good things 
without Jesus. I don't need Jesus to do that. I'm do my own thing. And I'm basically a good person. Look at all the awesome stuff I do. And I don't need Jesus for that. That's a prevalent view. But what did Jesus say about that? As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Dead branches can't produce fruit. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. People disconnected from Christ are living dead. They're dead. But non-Christians, they can do good things, right? Can't non-Christians bear fruit? What's Jesus saying? There is a, a charitable organization. It's called the Foundation Beyond Belief. It's fueled by humanists and atheists. They believe it's completely up to humanity to make the world a better place. God is completely foreign to them. They don't want anything to do with them. They believe humanity must make things right here on earth. These anti-theists have done incredible things. They, they actually saved a children's home in Nepal. They actually raised $900,000 for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. They don't believe John 15. They don't believe in Jesus. But they do what many would categorize in our culture as good works. Is that fruit? Come on, the people are benefiting from what they're doing. Jesus said, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Humanity cannot bear fruit on its own. Fruit is completely dependent upon union with Christ, on faith in Christ. Bearing fruit is doing the will of God for the glory of God. Bearing fruit is doing what's true, what's right, what's pleasing to God. And nothing is pleasing to God unless it is done through faith in Christ by the power of the Spirit of Christ for the glory of Christ. Saving a children's home in Nepal is not bearing fruit if it's done apart from Christ. Now, God may use it. God may use it, absolutely. Lots of children could be benefited, perhaps, but God doesn't consider it fruit. Think about it from this angle. The foundation beyond belief was created to give glory to man, not to God. They're open about that, okay? That's how most people live their lives. It's about me getting glory, not me giving glory. It's about me. How can I look better? How can I expand my territories? And that's called idolatry. That's not bearing fruit. The heart matters. Why we do things matters. People may do a lot of things that are essentially helpful to other people, but it counts for absolutely nothing because it is not done through Christ and for Christ. Paul said, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If something you do does not proceed from faith in Christ, it's sinful to you, for you to do it. It was sinful. Can, can you wrap your mind around th- this? Because this is tricky. Saving a children's home in Nepal was sinful for the humanists to do, even though it helped a lot of people. Because in God's eyes, it was not done through faith in Christ. So God counts it as sin, even though it has a positive effect, perhaps, on the children of Nepal. I wonder if you'd consider that. 
Lots of people do helpful things with no genuine faith in Christ, and it's sin in God's eyes. None of it is meritorious. None of it counts for anything. It'll all be burned up in the end. You must abide in Christ to bear any fruit. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. But what if we abide in Christ? What happens when we abide in him? Hold on to your hats. It's getting good. When you abide in Jesus Christ, you will bear much fruit and will be a blessing to others for the glory of God. If you abide in Christ, you're going to bear much fruit and you will be a blessing. Verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. There, There it is, folks. There it is. Some of the best news that you will ever hear right there in a short statement. His disciples were the branches and Jesus broadened it. He said, whoever abides in me and I in him. That's for us. We're branches too. If we abide in Christ and Christ in us, Jesus promised us that we would bear fruit for him. He'd do it through us. Notice that it's not one piece of fruit. It's not a basket of fruit. It's truckloads of fruit. Truckloads of fruit coming from you for the glory of God. Don't minimize the weight of that glorious statement. If we abide in Jesus Christ by faith, he will produce much fruit in and through us. This is awesome. Back in John 12, 24, Jesus used a slightly different metaphor to talk about himself and his, and his crucifixion. I preached a sermon on it a while back. He said this. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Do you remember that? Jesus would die and then he would bear a bunch of fruit. What's his fruit? Saved people. That's his fruit. People are his fruit. Jesus saves people through his life, death, and resurrection, and redeemed people are his fruit. And get this, as Jesus gives life and vitality to those people that he redeems by himself and for his glory, he feeds them and produces fruit through them. That's what the vine Jesus Christ does. He takes dead branches, grafts them into themselves, they get life and they bear fruit that he pumps and, and fills through them. This is awesome. This, This should be encouraging to you if you abide in Christ. If you don't, this is terrifying. Not only does he save us, he produces fruit through us. There's something else I want you to see here. All glory goes where? To Jesus the vine. We're simply branches. The vine is most important. It's called the vineyard, not the branchard. The vineyard, the vine is the purpose. That's the point. And we draw life and strength exclusively from the vine. We draw it from Christ. He makes us what we should be. Paul got it right. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in Jesus. All glory goes to God. You need to understand that bearing much fruit is confirmation that you're abiding in Christ. Fruit authenticates faith. The fruit needs to be there in your life. For you to have any confidence that you actually know Christ. Fruit. And fruit is humbling. Jesus was clear. You can't do anything without Jesus. You just can't. You can't do anything. No one can. We may not like to admit it, but we're actually helpless 
We are helpless without Jesus. Non-Christians can do incredible things, don't get me wrong, without faith in Christ. You don't need to believe in Jesus to donate to charities, to volunteer at soup kitchens. You don't even need to, to know Jesus or love Jesus to actually give your life for someone. You don't need to be a Christian to do that. But unbelievers can do nothing of eternal value, nothing that pleases God, nothing that truly counts And that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus left no room for human merit. In at least two ways, Jesus was emphasizing our powerlessness in verse 5. He he contrasted abiding in him and bearing much fruit with not abiding in him and doing nothing. Can you see the the contrast in the passage in verse 5? And and something that you wouldn't see in in English is that there is a, a Greek double negative which emphasizes the point that he's making. So it would read like this. For apart from me, you are not able to do nothing. And, that, and, and that's kind of weird in English, so don't try to make sense of it in English in a sense. The not and the nothing together are the accent of not going to happen. Now, what if a demolition crew came to you? There are demolition crew from Lancaster. There's an old brick building in Lancaster that needs to be demolished. It's condemned. You've got to bring it down. And they actually offer you $300,000 to do it in three days. Not bad. That's a good sign me up. I'll be there. Uh, the problem is, they say, you have to do it with your bare hands. You can use nothing. Do it with your bare hands. Rip the whole building down. I want it obliterated and removed, and you've got to do it with your bare hands. What would you say? What, what could you say? You can't say anything. That's impossible. You're like, whatever. No, nobody's going to do that. You're not signing that contract. It's absolutely impossible to do. Now, you may make Chuck Norris look like a wuss, but you're not doing that. That's impossible. Nobody is doing that. But you could do it with nitroglycerin. You could waste that space. All right? And that might be fun. Three days. <laughs> I, you're really concerned about me after this sermon. <laughs> I would be too if I was in your shoes. I don't think I have explosives at home, which is good because I might hurt myself. But get the point. The power needs to come from not you. Not you. The power has to come from outside of you. You need Christ to bear fruit. He's the power. Jesus did a masterful job at demolishing the disciples' pride while at the same time rebuilding their hope and expectation of bearing much fruit. They would bear much fruit. He's telling it to them, and they would do it through him. He would work in them to produce amazing things in the future. Jesus was so encouraging. Jesus built up his disciples, but he was also shocking The last point may be really tough for you to swallow. But I promise you something amazing is coming, so you've got to stay tuned. In the last moments of his life, Jesus talked about hell. He wanted his disciples to know the consequences of not abiding in him. Now, before I head into my last point, I want to ask you something, and I'm just going to ask you to be honest. Just be honest. Let's say you're traveling through more Oklahoma, and you stop at this little quaint restaurant for dinner. And as you're eating, the owner comes out and abruptly, very abruptly, very brusquely, tells all the diners, we just got word, an F5 tornado has just touched down not too far from here, and it's headed our way. 
We have only a few minutes. Don't panic. We'd like to escort you down into our newly renovated wine cellar. It's underground. It's safe. We assure you of that. There are plenty of tables down there where you can continue your meal, and we'd like to offer you a complimentary wine and, and our dessert menu as, as we wait out the tornado, but, but we need to head down there right now. The wine cellar is our only hope at this point. There's no time for you to go anywhere else. So if you don't come with us right now, you're going to get hit with over 300 mile an hour winds. You don't want that. And you'll also miss out on our our creme brulee. All right, so here's the question. Is that loving or is that nasty? Nobody would respond, why don't you get out of my face? I'm sitting here enjoying my dinner, and you mean to tell me you're going to get all up in my grill and talk about this tornado, you alarmist freaks? I, need, I don't need this right now. I, I need to finish my meal. I already have high blood pressure. You know what? I don't even believe in tornadoes. And I've heard that some people said that in 1999, Moore, Oklahoma, suffered the greatest tornado ever recorded. I know that some people think that, but I don't. And I'm offended that you would even interrupt my meal. I think I'll take my creme brulee to go. I'm out of here. The invitation to the wine cellar was loving because the tornado is real. Jesus is love. What he said in verse 2 and 6 is loving. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. He needed to say that. He needed to create tension. You can't really lessen the blows of Jesus' words anyway. God's wrath is fierce. And hell is real. Let me ask you this point. Or make this point sink in. Listen. Everyone who doesn't abide in Christ will burn in hell forever. Statements like that don't make people comfortable. But Jesus didn't say it to make people comfortable. He said it to wake them up to the reality of God's coming wrath. Think about it. Jesus said this to his closest friends. It's only mean and nasty if it's not true. But it is true. So Jesus is loving to say it. Catch the the emphasis here. The Greek word for throw is balo, meaning to forcefully toss something. Balo is followed by exo, which means apart from or away. What Jesus meant to say is exactly what he said. If anyone doesn't abide in Christ, they are thrown away with force. Thrown away branches wither and die, right? Greek scholar A.T. Robertson wrote, there is nothing for a broken off branch to do but wither and die. Death is the fate for everyone who doesn't abide in Christ. Jesus went further. He said all those dead and withering branches would be gathered together, forcefully thrown into the fire, and burned. Now you can spin verse 6 some other way. A lot of people do. Liberal scholars, people that don't want to hear it. But it's quite clear that Jesus had hell in mind especially when you consider how fire is often used to point to God's judgment in hell. Sometime check out Ezekiel 15 where God talks about giving the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
Jerusalem, up for fuel is for fire, and the fire consumes them. And in the New Testament, there are plenty of places that equate fire with hell. And these places help us understand Jesus in verse 6. In, in Matthew 5.22, Jesus used the phrase, hell of fire. In Matthew 7, Jesus warned about false prophets similar to John 15. He explained that a healthy tree will bear good fruit and a diseased tree will bear bad fruit. And he said in verse 19, every tree, this is Jesus now, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then he said, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So being thrown into fire is actually contrasted with entering into heaven. We know what he means. This is not hard to understand. In Matthew 13, Jesus explained one of his parables. He said that weeds are gathered and burned in fire, which was illustrative of what would happen to the sons of the evil one at the end of the age. Jesus continued, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. All lawbreakers will be cast into hell and burned. In Matthew 18, 8 and 9, Jesus used the terms eternal fire and hell of fire and contrast them with eternal life. In Matthew 25, Jesus described himself sitting on his throne and he was separating people, some to eternal life and some to eternal judgment. He tells those who never loved and served him at all, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's Jesus. Direct quote. He added in verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. Can you see the contrast? Eternal punishment, eternal life. The author of Hebrews wrote an eye-opening statement, Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27, says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. If you live in unrepentant sin, Never fighting sin, never putting sin to death, you can expect a fury of fire from God. God, after all, is a consuming fire. Direct quote from Hebrews. Walking an aisle, repeating a prayer, joining a church, can't extinguish the fury of God's wrath. Only abiding in Christ saves you from that fury of fire. Now, we don't have time to study it, but Romans 11, 11 through 24, talks about branches actually being broken off, and Paul says it's because of their unbelief. That's key. God will not spare anyone who continues in unbelief. This is what the Bible teaches. Hell is real. It's hot. It's horrible. It's forever. Hell is God pouring his fury on dissenters forever. Hell is unthinkable suffering with a constant awareness of need for Christ, but Christ is no longer available to come and save. Hell is eternal separation from all the pleasures and goodness and beauty and satisfaction of God. I'm obviously risking sounding like a Bible-thumping Hellbent, something. What did I mean to say? Hellbent extremist. I'm risking here. Do you need to hear this? You could say, I don't need this. Who do you think you are? I'm living my life.
I'm going to risk, and I'm going to give a loving plea to you, and I hope that you listen. If you don't abide in Jesus Christ, if you don't love him with everything, if you don't trust him alone for life and salvation, Jesus said you will be thrown away like a branch You'll wither, you'll be gathered with everyone else who chose to reject Jesus Christ, who chose to and and refused to abide in him and will be cast into eternal hell to be burned forever in conscious and unrelenting torment. You have heard it. You are accountable for it. My friends, you need to listen to Jesus. I would be an extremist if none of this was true, but I actually believe what I'm saying is true. He's telling you the truth. He's pleading with you through the gospel to abide in Christ. Don't underestimate his words. Don't argue them away. Don't pretend they aren't true. Heed the words of Christ. They are true. Believe Christ. Abide in Christ. Come to Christ and experience his unfathomable joy and peace and contentment. Please, please, Please abide in Christ. It would be easy to pretend this isn't true, to not even think about it, to to not even talk about it. In fact, a lot of churches aren't going to say this. And apparently they don't like Jesus because Jesus said a lot of this kind of thing. So I don't get that. Why, Why a lot of churches don't even go to hell and wrath and Sin and talk about these things. We've got to talk about it because it exists and people will go there. Too many people are headed to hell because they refuse to abide in Christ. So we need to feel the gravity, the weight of what Jesus is saying and we need to know how loving he is to make a plea. How loving he is to tell us. Jesus made this really easy. Either you reject your sin And abide in Christ and bear much fruit so that other people enjoy it and you enjoy it and and you enjoy God forever, forever. Or you reject Christ and abide in your sin and receive the full extent of the fury and justice of God forever because you failed to take God seriously. Listen. Listen to Jesus. But know that God smiles on us through Christ. Some awesome things are coming next time. I'm not going to be here next week, but the following week we're going to get into the last part of this little three-part series within the John series. And it is amazing where Jesus ends this little paragraph, these 11 verses. Some awesome stuff coming, but this message ends right here with three simple words. Abide in Christ.